it's really important for people as well. You know, in, in our pack, we had the beta wolf, the sort of second command, and his name was Motsi. The omega wolf was Lakota. Lakota really would get picked on, especially by the mid-ranking wolves. And Motsi, the beta wolf, would actually insert himself into the argument, physically put himself in between Lakota and the other wolves so that Lakota could get away. They had a friendship that was really quite incredible. You know, none of the other wolves would really seek out Lakota to play with them, but Motsi would kind of encourage Lakota to go off and the two of them would play together. And Motsi really went out of his way to protect Lakota. It's a great lesson for taking the underdog under your wing. Welcome to the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello and welcome everybody to another Doggy Dan Podcast Show. And today I'm super excited. I've got Jim and Jamie Dutcher with us, and they are fascinating people who have spent a long time living with wolves. So let me just briefly introduce them. They've, they've been involved with wolves for nearly 30 years, I believe, um, and they're widely recognized as two of America's most knowledgeable experts on wolf behavior. Because basically during the 1990s, they lived in a tented camp in Sawtooth Mountains of Idaho, where they're able to intimately observe the social hierarchy of the now famous Sawtooth Pack. And that six-year experience led to the creation of the National Geographic Society book, The Hidden Life of Wolves. It's a book that I've got and fully recommend it. It's absolutely beautiful, as well as four other books and three primetime television documentaries on wolves. So there's not many people know as much about wolves as Jim and Jamie. They're on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining me, Jim and Jamie Dutcher. Oh, it's a pleasure to be to be with you, Dan. Nice. Thanks for having us on, Dan. Oh, it, it really is my honor. Um, I am such a wolf man. <laughs> 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 what a way to start. <laughs> but I really am. I just, I have such a, a love of the wolves, but I haven't got much experience of having lived with them or being with them. I don't know anything compared to you guys about the wolves. So I'm just going to hand it over to you. Would you be so good as to tell us a little bit about your your experiences with wolves? Over to you. Okay. Um, uh, wolves are very wary of people. and They're shy. They, If you see a wolf in the wild, it, it keeps its distance and then runs away. And to get into the life of a wolf or into a pack of wolves, we started with puppies, bottle feeding them from the moment they opened their eyes so we could create a trust. Mm. And then as they grew older, we released them into a huge, huge, it was, it was the biggest wolf enclosure in the world. It was 25 acres. And in the background, right up against it was a 10,000 foot mountain we were wilderness, right on the edge of wilderness, miles and miles from a any road or trail or town or house. And we camped with the wolves in tented camp in, in tents. We had wood stoves. Um, it got very cold there. Um, 
it was often zero degrees and um, even 20 below and occasionally 40 below. Wow. Uh, steep. The snow was uh, four or five feet deep. Um, and anyway, by doing this, we were allowed into a, a wolf pack and we camped there for six years. And um, and we just noticed uh, oh, during our observations how different each wolf was. The, the personalities, the characters of of the wolves, and and how they took care of each other, and acted not like a, a pack, which sounds uh, ominous, but um, a family. They were it was a family of wolves, and that's what you see in the wild. If you see a pack of wolves, it's a family. Yeah, and it's it's important to note that you know even though we bottle fed these wolves from the time they just opened their eyes. Um, it was so that they would trust us and accept us. We, they were never pets. You couldn't ask them to come. They wouldn't do anything you wanted to them to do. You could put a leash on them. And um, it, it's all behavior studies that have ever been done on wolves have to be do, done with captive packs because you just can't get that close to a pack of wolves in the wild to really see what's going on. Um, if you're lucky enough to, habitu to, to habituate a wild pack, um, the next time somebody points something at them, it might not be a camera. It'll probably be a gun. Yes. Uh, so we just, you know, didn't want to even risk the uh, the chance of doing that. And most behavior studies have been done in very small enclosures of only one to three acres. So as Jim said, we had the largest in the world. And this really just allowed the wolves to open up their lives to us and treat us as just part of their environment. We would, you know, have our camera gear out and our, our sound gear out and they just, you know, they would just keep doing what they were doing. And it really allowed us an intimate look at their lives. Cause you know, we, we all know that wolves travel long distances and they bring down large game and they, they hunt in a pack and a family, but to get into that family and, and see how that family is really put together and how they relate to each other was what we really wanted to bring an audience. Yeah. I, I can only imagine how exciting it must've been to have been accepted by the wolf pack or the wolf family and be on the inside and um how how long just for people who are listening to this and are trying to get the picture how long were you actually with the wolves for for six years yeah for six years from 1990 to um 90, 1996 um, we had special use permit from the U.S. Forest Service for the land and had other permits to have captive animals. Um, but um, at the end, uh, we couldn't extend our permits anymore. There's a, a lot of hatred toward the wolves. And um, so we had to find a permanent home in the Nez Perce uh, Native American tribe in um, northern Idaho. Thought it'd be a great idea to have the wolves on their reservation and uh, we set up in another similar situation that we had lived with wolves and they lived out their lives there. Oh, good on the Nez Pierce tribe. It was yeah. really hard to say goodbye though. Mm, very. Yeah. Yeah. So at the, in the Nez Pierce tribe, are they in captivity or are they kind of more running wild? In the... Well, they, uh, they were in a, they're a similar enclosure, about a 25 acre enclosure because, you know, the one thing, excuse me, these wolves needed to survive in the wild yes. was a fear of humans. And yes. that's the one thing they didn't have. Yes. And um, it, it was decided when we moved the wolves to the, to the reservation, uh, we had a lot of discussions 
about how they would live out their lives. And we all agreed that we should do tubal ligations on the females so that they would continue their breeding behavior, but they would not continue to reproduce because it was a finite space. And, you know, in in wolf packs, you have wolves that want to disperse and there would be no place for these wolves to go. And it was really, it it was our hope that, you know, by the time there was no longer a sawtooth pack, that there would be a better understanding for wolves. And, you know, we wouldn't have to keep, keep it going, but unfortunately we still have a tremendous amount of work to do. Yeah. In a wolf pack, um, there, there's a hierarchy. Um, at the top of the pack is the um, breeding pair, um, alpha, the male, alpha, female. Um, and normally, they're the only ones that breed and and um, give birth to pups. Uh, the mother uh, digs a den. They're born underground. And um, the second in command in a wolf pack is called the beta wolf and um, and then at the bottom of the pack is the omega um, they're usually following the pack and uh, the last to eat um, but um, in our pack um, the omega and the alpha were brothers uh-huh. and um, when when Kamats the alpha died um, his brother howled in the night for about two or three weeks um, letting everybody know about his his amazing brother. Oh, touches me deeply when you say that. Yeah. They're pretty special. Yeah. Also, um, we in the beginning of the project we had a an omega wolf. Um, her her name was Mataki, and she would often go off and be by herself because she got picked upon a, a lot. And um, and it was during a time like this that a mountain lion climbed over the fence and killed this wolf, uh, Mataki. Um, but what was amazing about it, and uh, we, we didn't see this happen, we pasted it together from evidence that we saw uh, tracks and fur, uh, wolf fur way up in a tree. Um, we found her carcass and um, but what was the most amazing part of it all is how the wolves reacted. Yeah. Um, it was, for me, a kind of eureka moment um, in my life as a filmmaker because I thought I'd go on and do some other films like The Mountain Lions that I had done and Beavers and Undersea Subjects. But um, the, the, the pack mourned. They, yeah. they stopped playing. They stopped playing for about six weeks. Usually you see play in a wild pack of wolves every half hour at least. They're always playing, pulling tail, chasing each other. And they stopped howling in the way that they normally howl. They they would howl separately and mournfully instead of in a, a group howl, which uh, is punctuated with lively yips and whines. And um, it's very exciting. Um, but for them, uh, they just, um, they lost a cherished member of their family and, um, as we would walk with, through the uh, territory where they lived and come upon the area, even weeks and weeks later, where Mataki lost her life, the pack would become visibly uh, saddened. Uh, they would lower their tails and ears and, and sniff the ground. And you could just see that they were processing uh, the loss of this um, family member. Wow. Very much like the elephants that we see them mourning there. Mm-hmm. Their lost ones. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've often wanted to ask you about the the deep emotions of the wolves and um, and the personalities and characters, and you've kind of touched into it that such a rich, rich and uh, varied array of personalities and characters. Which, yeah, in in many ways, did you as you got to know them, did you feel like they were more like more human? Like they had more human personalities than maybe you first started to? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, wolves really are the best of what humans can be. Yes. You know, um, they they take care of the of the young. They they take care of, of older wolves. They won't leave a sick or injured pack member behind. Um, they, they really, they don't hold grudges. Yeah. You know, if, if there's a dispute, they they have their argument and then everything's fine you know everybody's friends again and it just they're really the best of what we could be and yeah. and yeah. um you know we could we could learn a lot more by watching wolves and you know you can see it see a lot of it when you watch you know your your own dogs you know you see the different personalities and and you see how they interact with each other and um you know um wolves are just you know they're they're this extended family <laughs> that uh, that need camaraderie and friendship to be able to survive to bring a to be able to bring down large game and raise a family yeah. so you know when wolves go out on a hunt they will often leave a um, another pack member behind with pup with the puppies as a puppy sitter so they're not left alone and then the rest of the pack will go out and hunt and um, you know it's it's all uh, all shared all camaraderie Wow. Something uh, that I talk about a lot in my dog training program is how, you know, the dogs have kind of, they've got a lot in, in common with the wolves and, and a lot of what we need to understand is that, you know, how the dog, they're not humans, basically, they're, they're different species and they're more connected probably, well, they are more connected to the wolves than they are to humans in terms of how they behave. And one of the things I touch on is when the dogs return, well, when the dogs return home or when we return home to our dogs, how we kind of need to be aware of our interaction with our dogs. And I, I always say that it stems from the wolves. And when the wolves return from the pack or when they reunite, they go through a routine. Have you, did you experience them going through a routine? And are you able to talk into that, uh, the routine of what they go through when they return? Did you find that when they Oh yeah, their 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 routine is uh, pretty pretty fabulous. You know they'll um, you know first of all when they when they wake up in the morning, you know they'll they'll all get up and stretch. They um, <laughs> they don't sleep together in a group. They'll they'll find separate places to sleep, and slowly they'll all get up and they'll all go over to to the alpha male and um, lick his face and say good morning to him and then they all kind of you know whine and and um do these little kind of mark mock growls and snarls at each other just saying good morning to each other and then they they go on with their day and they would do the same thing to us um you know we got greeted uh, first thing in the morning they would all come over and uh, it always had to be the alpha first who came to to say hello to us and if there was a 
a mid-ranking wolf who was trying to to get in before he did well that wolf would be put down in a second you know the alpha would grab his muzzle and put him down there'd be a squeal and you know none of this is is violent you know yeah. it's it's their language and uh you know sort of like you know come on saying hey you know it's not your turn so it's you know you've got to wait your turn and so we would all get greeted and eventually every uh, all the all the members of the pack would say hello and you know just kind of this this whining and just you know, just excitement. And the same thing would happen uh, when we would have to leave the enclosure to um, to go resupply because we didn't have running water or electricity. Yes. Uh, so we had to send our film off. And uh, so we'd be a- away for a day and then come back and we'd, you know, get that, get that big greeting. And then it was even bigger because they knew we had been gone. And the best way I can describe it is... Uh, <laughs> A warm, fluffy tornado with fangs. <laughs> they just, oh, that's brilliant. They just, they just swirl all around you, and they're just like whining and just like, oh, I gotta say hi, I gotta say hi. But then, once it's done, once they say hello, then they go off and do their thing. Yep. You can't really repeat it. It's no. like we've done that for the day, so it's yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. And what's your take on what's going on? Is it just a love, love, love? We love you. We've missed you. Or do you think there's more going on? Is it to do with the hierarchy? I th- I think it's a little bit of of both. I think you know they're they're rein- reinforcing how they feel about us, um, and at the same time they're also reinforcing um, who's who's who in in the family pecking order. Yeah. You know, um, so it's I think it goes both ways. Totally. I mean, we've got chickens on our property, and I'm always watching the chickens. I fed them this morning, and and I and I you know there's a pecking order there. There's some of the chickens are in charge and some of them have to wait their turn and some get told, hey, I'm eating, yeah. back off, that's my food. Yeah. This is chickens we're talking about. And, <laughs> you know, it's the same with our family. You know, there's a there's kind of, there's an order in our family of who's making the big decisions, mum and dad kind of making the decisions and our children are just as loved. Yeah. But it's all built around a bond. Yes. And that bond that we see in our a family dog uh, that he's so excited when you come home or if something happens to your mate and he or she mourns well that a wolf pack it's up it's about that bond and if uh if a wolf is killed and they mourn that wolf and you you hear a lot about the lone wolf and that's just a temporary situation where a wolf leaves a pack yes. a disperser looking for another individual disperser and forming another pack but what a wolf wants more than anything is to have that bond, to be, to belong to something, to belong to a family, to belong, to have its own pack. Yeah. Again, it's pretty similar to humans in a way. Some of us are yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. alone, but if we can find the right pack and the right group, it really does amplify the human experience in a good way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Some, I'd love to jump, jump onto something which uh, I can't remember where, whether I saw it or read it, but I've uh, made a lot of dog videos and I said this to my children the other day. I I said, look at the dogs playing and watch what happens if we all stand and watch them. As soon as we were watching them, their behavior changed. And (laughs) I read it somewhere that you said the wolves can sense when they're being watched. Would you be good enough to share a little bit about one of your stories or experiences with, with the dogs kind of, the wolves, sorry, their sense of being watched? I don't, you know, I don't know if they if we have an exact story about that, because, you know, we were, we were part of their environment. Mm. So we were there all the time. We were watching all the time, but, you know, I I can say for sure 
that, you know, wolves, wolves are very aware and they have a deep sense of, um, what is around them. And, and, uh, um, and that's really, um, if you, you know, <laughs> if you're lucky enough to see a wolf in the wild, yes, they'll stop and they'll look at you and then they'll, they'll move on. Um, but again, if you are lucky enough to see a wolf in the wild, you're seeing that wolf because he or she wants you to see them. Yes. And, um, which is, a you know, a pretty special thing if you get the opportunity for that. We had um, actually a friend of ours had an, an amazing experience um, out here because um, we live in a in a mountain town, and uh, he was out doing some climbing, and he'd gotten to the top of a ridge, and he popped his head over, and right, pretty much at his nose, was a wolf sleeping. Wow! Right wow. at the edge of this under the snow. Yeah, under the snow. And it startled him, but, you know, he knew us, uh, you know, our friend, you know, knew, <laughs> don't be afraid of wolves. They're not going to hurt you. And he just stayed there. And this wolf stood up, shook off the snow. And then our friend realized it wasn't just this wolf. There, there was an entire pack of 12 wolves behind him laying down in the snow. And they all got up and they slowly turned around and walked further up to another ridge while that one wolf who was more than likely the alpha um, stood there waiting until all of his pack mates had made it far enough away and then he turned around and went off wow. just kind of keeping an eye on our friend which is pretty amazing so they're they're very aware oh just love it love it i remember is it farley moat i always get his name wrong marley foat no. uh, marley foat <laughs> Farley Moat. Farley Moat. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Farley Moat. I've always got his name, but I read his book, and what I always loved is, is how he explained. He went out into the wild to look for wolves, and he realized that every time he was looking for the wolves, they were always watching him behind him. But he couldn't kind of didn't realize until he kind of started to go home to start with. It was almost like yeah. he was trying to track them, but they had a better eye on oh. him. Absolutely. I mean, there would be times when when we'd be um, walking through the territory and. Um, you know, it was a, God, where are the wolves? Where could they go? Did, you know, did they leave? And, and all of a sudden you realize they're all walking behind you. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, so, they're so quiet and they're so stealthy. But, you know, one of the greatest things in Farley Moat's book is the end of that book. When he, um, I don't know if you remember, but he, he thinks the wolves have moved on. And he goes into to the den of uh, the alpha female and just to take a look around and that she was still in there and he admits that he had this primordial fear just to instantly be afraid of her oh yeah and then realize oh my god what am i doing you know and then you know i think he crawled out and you know everything everything was fine but uh, even through everything he'd observed he still had that fear he crawled out and thanked the universe (laughs) (laughs) could you um would you be good so good just to tell share a little bit about how do you think the the wolves actually viewed you i mean do you think they enjoyed your your company do you think they saw you as kind of um part of the pack i mean there's obviously some connection there love i truly think they they enjoyed being with us or us being around um 
you know, if you've seen some of our photographs or, or seen our films, there are, you know, some scenes where, you know, we are, you know, with the wolves and, you know, we can touch the wolves, but everything was on their terms. They, we, we wouldn't go to the wolves. If they wanted to be near us, they would come to us. It would be their choice. And they would often do that. You know, they might just come and just sit next to you for a while and then move on. Um, you know, it's just uh, just sharing sharing that space, and then of course the uh, the enthusiasm when um, you know after we've had to you know come back from being you know from recharging batteries or whatever, get uh, sending off film that we'd come back. You know, they really they really did seem to care about us. We were, I guess, very inefficient pack members because we uh, you know, <laughs> we we weren't much good for anything. <laughs> Did you not feed them nibbles? What about the food? How were how were the wolves fed? That's, that's an interesting topic. How were the wolves fed? Did you provide the food, or was it thrown over the fence? Or? Oh no, we we would drag it in. We get carcasses of deer, elk, and um, pronghorn antelope, and um, drag it in on a sled, and um, place it in different places places in the territory, going through a a gate that was far far away. Um, you have to imagine this is a place. You, you, the, the enclosure was there, but you never saw the fence. The place was so immense. Um, so, um, and, and halfway through the project, we decided it would be actually better if we were living in their territory. So we yes. we we did that. We set up a camp within their territory, and um, we had to surround it with chain link fence. Not because we were afraid of the wolves, but we were afraid they were going to steal everything we had. Uh, they they they're really interested in anything we touched. And uh, one time we brought out a uh, an official from the, the government um, who wanted to see wolves, and because he was going to be in charge of wolves that are going to be reintroduced to Idaho, so we warned him because you know, don't put anything down. You know they'll they'll take it. And, and he had a still camera and a movie camera uh, or a little video camera. And um, he, he, he started taking pictures and he, he started to, then he started to shoot some video and they were all excited about something. And he asked us, what, what, what are they doing? And I said, they're eating your still camera because <laughs> he put it down. <laughs> And so I found a little chip with a couple of wires hanging out of it a week or two later. And I sent it back to him and said, come on, enjoyed your camera. This is all I could find. But, you know, it's, what's really interesting and, you know, a big difference between wolves and dogs and food is that, you know, um, as Jim said, we would we would bring in large uh, game roadkill. Unfortunately, there's quite a bit of it here. Um which uh, was the majority of their food, but they would also uh, kill small game in the enclosure, um, rabbits and such. Um, and, you know, people always said, you know, oh, but what about your food? And, you know, we had a very uh, small stove and, and, and we would um, grill quite often. And they would be like, oh, you know, you know, weren't the wolves just crazy for the smell of, you know, grilling meat or fish or whatever. And they had no interest in it whatsoever because it wasn't it wasn't something that they associated with food oh how interesting which is really interesting they just had no interest in it whatsoever and it 
when we moved our um, our camp into into their territory, we had a um, we had a, a large wall tent on the, on the ground, and then we had stairs going up to a platform where we had our Mongolian style yurt where, where we did a lot of our, our work and where we ate. And I, I was up on that deck and I was, um, I was eating like some, some kind of chip or whatever. And it fell, one of them fell to the ground and I thought, Oh my God, what have I done? You know, I'm going to create a monster. Well, they ran over to it, but they wouldn't eat it. They rolled on it to get the scent all over them but they had they had no desire it was it wasn't something that was food they could know. smell the chemicals yeah yeah they could smell all the chemicals <laughs> they're going hang on that chemical's not good for you that one's yeah. not good for you and that one's not good for you don't eat that whatever you do don't eat that yeah. but yeah but totally disinterested in in cooked uh cooked food or just you know average human food but one thing they did eat which you we never would have seen which no one has ever seen in the wild um they would seek out in the spring one particular wildflower called a shooting star and they and they would graze on these shooting stars and um i ate one and it's not very interesting (laughs) so it doesn't really have any particular taste but it's just that's what they would seek out and you would never no one really has ever seen that before yeah it's almost like these animals have an instinct and a knowing of what they need to eat and, and what's in the yeah. the food sometimes that it defies our understanding so after mm. our, our years of living with these wolves and realizing we really couldn't go on to another pro- project another animal um you know we thought about sea turtles and wild horses and lynx um animals in Africa but we kept going back to wolves so we formed an, a nonprofit and we do a lot of presentations over the um, um, where we show images and tell stories about wolves and the nonprofit also sponsors uh, research in the in Yellowstone and Denali and other national parks and uh, it's it's been really rewarding to to learn about the wolves of these uh, Yellowstone, where we we're not that far from Yellowstone, but up in Denali, the um, there's trapping right, uh, and so in Yellowstone, if a wolf ventures across the boundary of the park, uh, they can be shot or trapped. And uh, one of the stories that uh, really touched us the most up in Denali is where traps were set outside the park and the wolf a pack of wolves had wandered out of the park and the alpha female stepped into a trap and the researcher there that we worked with uh, dr gordon haber um, told us this story that was just amazing that this female was in a trap and the the trapper didn't show up for about two weeks and um, so the the pack must have brought food to it um, because it survived but eventually the trapper came by and shot the wolf. Oh. And the alpha male uh, was so traumatized that he ran way back into the park to where their den was with the, the yearlings following behind. And he got to the, the den and he went into the den and he cleared it out to, you know, to get it ready for a litter of pups that he would never father. Um, after finishing that, he ran back to where she had disappeared, 
with the, the yearlings again trying to keep up and got to the place to where um, uh, she had been in this trap and he wandered all over the place and uh, and howled and howled and howled uh, searching for his mate his mate and um, they they care a lot about each other and there's just stories like that over and over um, and I think that people if people could understand these stories and how different each wolf is and the characters and personalities they have they probably wouldn't want to kill a wolf but right now our state wants to eliminate 90 percent of the wolves that we have painfully and successfully reintroduced and there's maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred wolves in idaho idaho is a rather large state uh, we have twenty thousand bears and maybe fifty thousand coyotes and only a thousand to fifteen hundred wolves and um and now they want to kill 90% of them. And um, you know, Idaho is cattle and sheep, but I don't, people don't come to Idaho to see cattle and sheep. They come to see the wild rivers and the mountains and the and the wildlife. Yeah. And um, it's, it's really sad. Uh, there's 2.8 million cattle and sheep in Idaho, 2.8 million. And wolves only killed about 170 of them in a year. And, um, and the ranchers are reimbursed. So that, that's what we're up against, and we're, we're trying to educate people about wolves, and that's why we do write books and produce films and tell our stories. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I read somewhere, I heard somewhere, and it just said that this world will never, this world will never find peace and happiness until we restore balance to nature. Yeah, and that balance to nature can be show, summed up by 2.8 million cattle and sheep, and uh, and we want to kill off 90 or some people want to kill off 90 percent of the wolves, and there's only a thousand, so we'd be down to about 100, 150. Yeah, it's that imbalance that is so so wrong and uh, feels so out of proportion. Yeah, there's not even a uh, a, a sensible argument no. for it. You know, all the uh, all the reasoning uh, is uh, is is false and based on on myth. You know, the small amount of uh, you know wolves will occasionally take cattle and sheep, but as Jim said, the number is extraordinarily small. And um, you know, they 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 don't attack humans. They they would prefer to be they're curious of humans, but they prefer to stay away from them. And uh, it's just you know they just continuously get the bad rap the little red hot riding hood three little pigs you know everything's pushed back yeah. onto wolves and in fact we as as humans make things worse for wolves when we do go out and try to uh you know when the government will go out and try to eliminate a pack or part of a pack because you know let's say they're worried they're going to be predating on on livestock well then you've just decimated the family and you've either left a bunch of kids that don't know how to fend for themselves properly or you've broken up the pack to a point where they're just you know in twos and threes and that's not enough of a family to bring down a large animal no. so that's when you create the problem of wolves then having no choice but to go after something easier like cattle and sheep. Yes. They don't even they don't even really like the taste of cattle and sheep. They don't act like natural prey to them, but it's a it's a source of desperation and we create that. 
by taking away their own prey sources and and by um, by killing off family members. Yeah. Dan, they're actually killing the puppies at the dens now. Mm -hmm. They're digging them up um, when they're a week or two old and um, shooting them with a gun or or something worse. Yeah, I, I sometimes, I don't despair of the human race, but I certainly kind of uh, sometimes question whether the, you know, the animals can lead us back to our hearts and show us how to feel and show us how to love and show us how to care and show us how to live in families and, and look after the old and the young. And, and I think, to be honest, I, I, I sometimes wonder whether the wolves repulse many people because they are like you say they they are the best of what humans could be yeah and, and so they're also you know the dog that doesn't kennel up you know but piece so that yeah. makes some people angry they don't like that it's an animal yeah. they can't control and yeah. we owe so much to the wolves you know because as you know you know all dogs have virtually the same dna as as wolves yeah. they all derived you know whether it's the the pekinese or the or the the great sled dogs they they all derived from wolves and we owe so much to wolves for our our very best companion there's no other animal on earth that reads us as well as our family dogs you know chimpanzees yeah. can't we can't even read each other as well sometimes <laughs> no <laughs> no totally but dogs can and uh, yeah. we've we've grown up together and had this great uh, symbiotic relationship and and have uh, have influenced each other each other's evolutions and created what we are and so we owe them a lot. Something you um, that came to mind when you were talking about how much we are fascinated with the wolves is uh, I think I mentioned earlier a couple of years ago I did visit Yellowstone National Park and it blew me away that you know there was these huge uh, was it buffalo or bison I forget bison. Bison. bison, huge bison buffering up against the cars, and yeah. you know, <laughs> ten or twenty or a herd, of, you know, fifty of them just wandering through a, a trail of cars, and then people would get quite excited because there'd be a grizzly bear crossing the road, and but none of that, all of that, I should say, paled into insignificance compared to the excitement of when there was this tiny black dot about three and a half kilometers away on a hill. Yeah. Absolutely. And people couldn't even see what it was. Only the people with the biggest telescopes could say, it's a wolf. It's moving. And the excitement was off the charts. It's almost like, yeah, people come to Yellowstone for all sorts of reasons. But the excitement of seeing a wild wolf just was just unbelievable. It was beautiful. You can't even see them with the binoculars. They're so far away. And, and, and the people that do this, they're from all over the world. Yeah. And, and it's really, a, I go, I'm amazed at what, how friendly they are. I said, oh, you don't have a spotting scope? Look through mine. And it, yes, uh, yes. Yeah. They, yeah. they want to share. And Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, people up and move there, they... Um, you know, they, they, you've, you have people that are like permanent wolf watchers yeah. and they love to tell you about the wolves they're seeing. And so really, you know, if you're going to Yellowstone and looking for wolves, you don't really even need a spotting scope because if you can find them, they're more than happy to share and yeah. share the stories, which is really terrific. It's, it's just created um, a huge um, tourist industry and, um, and just a great camaraderie because, you know, the, the thrill of, of wolves being back, that, that ultimate wildness. And if you're fortunate enough to then hear them howl, 
you know, that's yeah. just, you know, it, it raises the, the hair on the back of your neck in a, in a, in a good way, um, just a real soulful way. And it's just an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, the people out there are terrific. Yeah, it was absolutely a highlight for myself, even uh, just the excitement of standing there looking for a wolf for hour upon end was just, <laughs> is that one? No, no, I think that's just a tree. No, the tree's moving. No, it's not. It is. He's, <laughs> just, it was, I'll never forget it. Never forget it. So can you tell me a little bit about how people um, can, you know, get more involved or, or learn more about what you're doing or, or help protect the wolves? What's What's the best thing for people to do? Well, our organization is called Living with Wolves, and we have a website and um, it explains all wolf behavior and all the films and books that we've written about wolves. And um, we actually just won a, a national award for the website, so oh, brilliant! pretty proud of it. Yeah, Is that livingwithwolves.org? Livingwithwolves.org. Beautiful. Yeah. In a recent book that we did was called The Wisdom of Wolves. And um, a lot of these stories that we're telling you right now um, are in that book. So um, that, that it's a, not a really a picture book like The Hidden Life of Wolves, but uh, it's um, based on stories. Yeah, and more more about how what, what we learned from wolves and what people in general could could really learn take away from wolves and you know we also have on the website um, different uh, government agencies to reach out to Um, we also have um, great learning tools we have um, an online version of our photography exhibit which travels around and um, with National Geographic we put together a um, a teacher's guide so um, an educational guide for uh, grades uh, K through 12 so um, that's a great resource and also a fun kind you know family guide things for you know kids and families to do at home and uh, and as Jim said just a tremendous amount of information about what wolves are, are really like in a um, in a very digestible way we um, will often uh, reprint uh, scientific articles and but rewrite them so it's easier for people to to, to digest and understand. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's I think would say that's a great way to start and just be an be an activist for wolves and a supporter. I know you know there are no wolves in in New Zealand, but your podcast I'm sure goes all over the world. And yeah. and uh, besides humans, uh, wolves are the um, the most traveled species um, on the on the planet. Have lived on uh, on more continents yeah. than any other animal. Yeah. So um, you know, they're they're wolves in Africa, the Ethiopian wolf, and in uh, in uh, um, uh, the deserts of uh, of Arabia and uh, Egypt, Jordan, the uh, the desert wolf, and of course, you know, wolves in Europe and uh, um, here in North America. So they they're a global animal, and they need global support. Truly, they really, really do. Yeah, well, I've got the like I say, I've had the the book, The Hidden Life of Wolves, for many years, and it is a beautiful book. So, you know, it's one of the most beautiful books. And I notice on Amazon, it's got you know every every rating is a five star review on Amazon. All right, <laughs> that's good to hear. It's it's right up there. And I've also got the Wisdom of Wolves as an Audible. Oh, wow. so you can get that on Audible. I'm listening to that as I do my gardening. Um, oh. really, really, really beautiful. Good. And, um, Thanks. 
Yeah. I've got a couple of quick questions, if I may. Yeah. They're very much personal questions. And one of them may sound a bit weird, but I'm just going to ask it because I'm fascinated. <laughs> I don't care. That's okay. So, sex. Sex and wolves. What do the, dog, do the wolves have sex just to reproduce? Or do they, like, I've read somewhere that the wolves, you know, only if they feel this situation um, and it's time to reproduce, will they, will they mate? Does that mean they kind of only mate maybe once a year yeah. and it's only the alpha couple, you know, the alpha pair? How does, I'm just interested. Yeah, yeah no, un, unlike dogs, um, wolves only breed once a year and um, that's in late winter. And, uh, and then the pups are born in early spring. And when you say mate, does that mean actual, the actual having sex or is that the, they'll have sex many times a year, but only once does it biologically no. kind of kick in? Um, no, they really only have sex once a year. Wow. You know, the, the female, the female only comes into estrus. And yes. so that's when she's desirable. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. um, you know, so that's, uh, that's when they get together. And it, it is true that wolves, um, if, if wolves are living in an area where there's a, a plentiful amount of game and everything's going good for them, not only will the alpha pair breed, but the alpha male may also mate with a beta female or another female. Um, that can happen as well. But at the same time, if the pack is in distress, if they're having a very difficult time finding game, then they may not breed that year because they know they cannot support those pups. Now, one really kind of, since you've asked about wolf sex, <laughs> is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's generally thought that, you know, the alpha male picks the, picks the female and, you know, and, and he's in charge. Well, really, it's the other way around. Oh, just like humans. <laughs> <laughs> just like humans. Exactly like humans. Um, yeah, the um, you know you you will have uh, uh, well for example in in our pack we had two females we had uh, Wyokin and Shamuk and we assumed for no reason you know we just assumed that Wyokin would probably become the alpha female that because she was more gregarious and and just you know just a you know better all around mate right where Shamuk was timid and a little bit of an omega almost. Well, all of a sudden, the two of them came into estrus at just about the same time, and all bets were off. Shamuk became superwoman. She became aggressive towards Wyokin, would always kind of put her down, sort of like, look at me, look at me. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, he, she really put herself in front of Kamats all the time and um, really actually made it quite difficult for Wyokin to even want to breed. Wow. Let's just say she um, was a bit aggressive <laughs> you know, in, in, the, in the Netherlands. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what your audience is, so I'm just trying to. No, no. But, we're, um, I just love, to, love so, to learn the truth. Yeah. So anyway, so, you know, she just put herself in front of Shemo, in front of uh, Kamats and he's like, oh, OK, I guess you're it. <laughs> wow. Wow, and and, and uh, yeah, that's how it's done. Oh, nature's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, and it really was quite sweet after that. They, you know, they really had a, a great bonding time, and and uh, you know, it was it was pretty pretty sweet. Yeah, our researcher friends in Yellowstone, um, especially Doug Smith, told us this story that um, 
they've been watching the pack um and um when the male when the alpha male stood up and was ready to go on a on a, a walkabout going hunting or whatever the rest of the pack just sort of looked at him and and then he laid down but the alpha females stood up and the whole pack got up and like we're going somewhere we're what going we somewhere <laughs> wow and, uh, yeah, they can, they take their lead from the females. Jim, you know, it's amazing. I had two questions. One was about the sex in the wolves, and the other one was about who decides when they go for a walk. <laughs> and does the alpha male stand up and then they all follow? That was going to be my other question. So call it telepathy or whatever, but because I've always said, you know, when you're in charge, you stand up. Yeah. I said, I, I have this story I tell because so much about my dog training, and this ties it back to the dog training, is about you know, being the leader to your dog and, and being the decision maker. And I always say, in the wild, you know, when the wolves are going hunting, you know, the wolves don't go, hey, let's go hunting. And, and the wolves say, oh, Bobby and Gary have already gone <laughs> off this morning hunting and, and Sheila and Wendy and Brian decided to do their own thing. I said, no, they don't just wander off. They wait for the leader. Yeah. And the leader says, we're going now. Yeah. And the leader stands up and they all turn and go, it's on, yeah. it's on. Yeah. And I've even witnessed that with my own dogs yeah. where I've whispered in little Inca's, Inca was my female dog. She's in one room and I've whispered, I said, do you want to go for a walk? <laughs> and she has run down the corridor She's told Moses and Jack what I've just said, however she told them, and the three of them have all started jumping around and run to the back door. In other words, I've communicated it, and they just know how to pass it on because yeah. in nature it's so important. They all go as a big pack. And, Wonderful. Uh, yeah. yeah. But not, not to take anything away from the alpha. You know, they really, no. you know, he really was the first to he's the first to really be aware uh, uh, to, to perceive any danger something that might not be, be going right in the area, check things out, you know, really keep an eye on the, on the pack. But uh, the, the females, they, they rule the roost as far as, you know, hunting and, and uh, you know, when they're going to go and how they're going to do it. Dan, we, we could actually just go out and um, take a notebook and hang out with the, wolves and not take the cameras and um and and you'd hear a branch break out in the forest uh, th the surrounding forest and Kamats the alpha he would stand up to this and he would look around and he trot off to investigate what that might have been and the rest of the pack just said you know well Kamats can handle that yeah. <laughs> yeah and 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 you think about this with wolves being hunted so it's the alphas, the leaders that uh, that stand up to the perceived danger when a hunter comes into the forest, and they yep. put themselves up in front, and they're the probably the along with very um, young pups are the first to be shot. Yeah, which just interrupts the uh, the behavior of the pack yeah. and makes it all unbalanced. Yeah. Oh, it's it's very sad. It's very very yeah. sad when you think about it and the emotions and the the love and the bonds which are broken. And all I can do is say a huge thank you to you both for all your work. And uh, oh, thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I know millions of people around the world do, and uh, I feel like I could chat to you guys for hours and uh, share stories. And yeah, well, call us back sometime. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will. Is there anything else you'd like to share or say or? point people towards a website or anything else or well you know just for for more information to go to our website but you know if if we have a moment there is one story i would like to tell you absolutely yeah because i think 
it's not only it not only really tells you about wolves, but it te- it it's really important for people as well. You know, in in our pack, we had the beta wolf, the sort of second command, and his name was Motsi. The omega wolf was Lakota, and you know, people think that okay, you know, the the omega is always picked upon and the last to eat, so that would probably be a wolf that would be a disperser. But they're really not. They're really an integral part of the family. They really are the instigators of play and diffuse pack tension. A wolf that is striving to be an alpha would be the kind of wolf that would would strike out on its own. So Lakota really would get picked on, especially by the mid-ranking wolves, which were constantly squabbling amongst themselves for a better place in the middle of the pack. And Motsi, the beta wolf, would actually insert himself into the argument, physically put himself in between Lakota and the other wolves so that Lakota could get away and take the pressure off of Lakota. And they had a friendship that was really quite incredible. You know, none of the other wolves would um, really seek out Lakota to play with him uh, to play with them, but Motsi would kind of encourage Lakota to go off, and the two of them would play together. And they would even sort of switch roles, where Motsi would kind of get down and low, and and Lakota could be, you know, on top, you know, while these other wolves were, in, in fact, you know, the best way to describe it was bullying him. And Motsi really went out of his way to protect Lakota. Yeah, they would sleep together, and just you know, spend incredible time together. And it's a great. It's a great lesson for, you know, taking the underdog under your wing and just protecting him. Absolutely. In your book, The Hidden Life of Wolves, I'm on page 55, and it says, Lakota receives a reassuring glance from Metsi, the beta wolf. Yeah. 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 You know the picture, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Where oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lakota's lying there going, help me, am I okay? And Metsi's literally, it's, <laughs> it, uh, I, I don't know whether you caught that picture, Jim, but it's just, it's a... Uh, just so beautiful you can just say am i okay save me help me you're okay i got you back but you know at the same time there was one time where you know lakota was under a tree and just being as small as he could possibly be and we couldn't figure out what was going on and motsi walked right over to him stood on top of him you know straddled him and peed all over his back totally peed all over him and Lakota's ears are, you know, as back as they can be. And he's trying to be small and Lakota and Motsi finished peeing on him and then walked away with this disgusted look on his face. And Lakota's still staying there. And we have no idea what happened between the two of them. But an hour later, the two of them are back playing again and everything was normal. Who had the disgusted look? Motsi had the disgusted look? Yeah. Motsi was just disgusted with whatever Lakota had done. Oh my gosh. Um, But they, yeah. You know, an hour later, they were friends again. Everything was okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the um, the peeing thing fascinates me because it's you know, as I'm sure you know, it's a it's, I, well, I believe it's a dominance thing. Is that fair to say? It's kind of a marking kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, we had to, a dog nearby who used to come and onto our property, and she was actually called Femi, which was felt like a very I'm the alpha feminine, you know, I'm the alpha female sort mm-hmm. of a name. She was called Femi, which made me laugh <laughs> because she acted like she was. And lo and behold, she used to kind of boss my girl dogs around quite a bit. One day, she actually turned up. She went to the dog's food bowls, which were empty but still on the decking. And she literally 
squatted down and peed all over the dog's food bowls and like, looked at me and walked oh, off. Wow. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> you know, because I think the wolves will sometimes pee on the carcass a little bit, maybe, or something. Is that true? Or? Yeah. Yeah, they'll pee, they'll pee on certain things to mark them. Yeah. And uh, it just made me go, yeah, this peeing, it's, <laughs> it's a fascinating. I could chat to you guys for hours and hours. Oh, wow. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Dan, thanks so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Yeah, well, love to you. Keep up the great work. And um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot of enjoyment out of this podcast. Okay. And uh, yeah, wish you all the best in your, in, the, in, the, in your future work. Thank you, and you too. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys, thanks for joining me. And as always, love your dog. You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog. 